Amen, amen, amen. So Pastor has finished up the series um, that he's been doing on deliverance and, and all the things that we've been talking about the last four weeks. So today I'm just laying the foundation or the introductory of a new series. Now, many of you know who've known me for a long time know that I am a teacher, like literally a certified licensed teacher. And um, I, I love teaching. And uh, this message right here is probably one of the hardest messages that I've ever prepared to teach. And, and I couldn't understand why I was struggling so hard uh, in teaching this message. So I'm just gonna kind of lay a foundation before I really dive into what I'm gonna get into. In school, we learn a lot of things. I remember when I was little, they said we were learning the three R's of education. And I didn't understand what that meant because when they talked about the three R's, they were talking about reading, writing, and arithmetic. So writing and arithmetic don't start with an R. They just had this country name. My husband said I made that up. I was like, no, that's a real thing. So when I looked it up, he believed me. He never believed nothing I say. Back in the day in school, they taught so many things. They taught home ec. They taught cooking. They taught driver's ed. They taught you how to sew. They taught you even how to take care of a baby. And when I was teaching school, one of my students had one of those little fake babies they used to bring home. And I'm gonna tell you about the story. So I ain't really know, you know, the effects of what you do to the little fake baby. So the little baby was crying in my class. So me jokingly, I grabbed the little fake baby and I was shaking the little baby and slapping the little baby and, 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 and trying to make the little baby shut up because it was disturbing me. And uh, the, the, they kept telling me I couldn't do that. So, you know, when the child turned the baby back in and got ready to get their grade, they had got an F. And it was my fault. So the teacher came up to me and they wanted to know if I had did what the student said I had did. You know, shaking the baby, slapping the baby, dropping the baby, you know, just playing with the baby. And I said all that to just say, you know, in school, you know, we've learned how to do a lot of things. But one of the things that we didn't learn, I'm going to talk about today, which is also a tough thing. Now, I taught algebra and I taught geometry. I taught quite a few people who are in this building. And my students would always ask this question. They would say, when am I ever going to use this? You ever said that when you was in school? Well, my students said it all the time. And when I was shopping one year, I went and bought this poster. And the poster showed you when you would use certain skills. So like, there were some skills that I taught in geometry and that I taught in algebra. And you look on the chart and it said that you only going to use it if you are an astronaut. So the kids be like, well, I ain't going to be an astronaut. I don't need to learn this. So I had to get smart, and I had to tell them, well, you know when you're going to use it? You're going to use it right now. You're going to use it to pass this class, and you're going to use it to graduate. I don't want to hear that no more. But I said that to say that so many skills are taught that aren't necessarily necessary in life, but some of the things that are necessary we don't teach or we don't talk about. Now, I'm going to talk about something today that people don't want to talk about, and that is what? M-O-N-E-Y. 
E Y. Why don't we want to talk about money? It's hard to talk about money because nobody wants you to tell them what to do with their money. I work hard for this money. You can't tell me what to do with my money. Also, we have also heard it said by numerous people that there's been some, some financial infidelity even in the church, right? There have been some preachers, some deacons, some, some, some secretaries. They stole the church money. Guess what? It don't even just happen in the church. It happens in the secular world. It happens on businesses, in jobs. It happens, you know, they, they, it happens in the schools and police. I see it in the news all the time where somebody is embezzling money. But people don't focus on all those things. They focus on the church, that it happened in the church. And not only do they focus on that, we hear it said time and time again, all they want is your money. Well, you can relax. Because I ain't talking about your money today. I'm talking about God's money. We ain't talking about your money. We're talking about God's money. Do you know that the Bible declares that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein? Everything in this world belongs to God. The clothes I got on. They belong to God. The car I drive, it belongs to God. The house I live in, it belongs to God. And one day, we're going to have to give an account for everything we did with the things that God has allowed us to use. Now, it's a subject that's not taught in church because people don't want to hear people talk about money. It, many preachers, many churches, they stay away from it. But what I really think is, I think that it's a trick of the enemy to keep us silent on something that God says so, so much about. I read an article, and it said there are over 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. There's about 500 verses in the Bible that talk about faith. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money and your possessions. So with that being said, we're going to get a little bit uncomfortable today, and we're going to talk about money. Again, this ain't going to be no shout message. You ain't going to be running all around the church and screaming and hollering. You know what I'm saying? This is a teaching message because we want to do better. When we know better, we do better. Amen. So let me say this too, by no means do I profess to be perfect in this area. I go over my budget sometimes, I do. I splurge too much sometimes. I fail to plan and have to end up going out to eat all too often myself sometimes. I also have more clothes in my closet than I will probably ever wear. But none of that is what made it hard for me to talk about this. It's because people don't 
feel comfortable talking about it. When we choose not to talk about finance in the church, it's like not warning someone of impending danger when we make that choice. It's like we are failing to equip believers with the tools on how to live the abundant life that God promises us. Now, I read Hosea chapter 6, I mean chapter 4, verse 6. And it says, and we read this, and we only read this part. My people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. We've heard that. We quote that. But that scripture goes on to tell us why we are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. And it gives us two things. One, it says, because we reject the knowledge. We reject it. Many of us know what God says to do, even like me as a teacher, and in the context of this scripture, they're talking about the priest. As a priest, as a minister of the gospel, it is my responsibility to tell you or to teach hard subjects, even if they make me feel uncomfortable. And so, because I reject the knowledge and I fail to tell you, then God is going to hold me accountable. It says in that scripture, because you ignored, it says, I will reject you as a priest because you rejected that knowledge. Then it goes on, it says, because you ignored the law, you know it, you just ignore it, I will ignore your children. So when I started reading and thinking about that thing, I read a, a commentary and it talked about how God is trying to get to what's close to our heart. Because see, we don't want God to ignore our children when they're standing in need of something. We don't want God to reject us. And because we don't want God to do those things, he's trying to use that as a tool to get us to trust him even concerning these areas. Money is one of the fiercest idols that we will face in our relationship with God. Money is. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. That's, that's where we get mixed up. Money itself is not evil. The world says it right. Money makes the world go round. You need money. You need currency to do anything that you do in this life. But Jesus says in Matthew 6 and 24, you cannot serve God and money. Point blank, period. You can't serve God in money. Money is, we were created not to serve money, but we were created to serve God. God desires our devotion, and he knows that we will be tempted to devote ourselves to money instead. Now, let me say something, because money affects different people differently. For a rich person, a wealthy person, they may experience a level of pride, and not all rich people. They may experience a level of pride because they have money, and they may feel like they don't need God. So they live a life of independence from God because they've never experienced lack or want or need. 
A person who struggles financially may be tempted in their mind to believe that God is not good. They will doubt his goodness and they will doubt his faithfulness because of their lack. Not everybody, but some. And then you have that person in the middle who may be tempted to covet or desire more and more. It's like you never have enough. You ever been there? I know I have. This requires many of us to live beyond our means. And then it requires us to have to keep working harder and harder to keep up with stuff that we weren't meant to have to begin with. So in turn, we see ourselves working and working and working, trying to get more and more possessions that God didn't even ask us to have in the beginning. He didn't even grant it, and then we want him to bless it. So today, I'm starting and I'm laying this foundation simply on stewardship. That's what it is. So I'm going to talk about what stewardship is and what it requires. Stewardship, in simple terms, is managing something for somebody else. And this goes way beyond money. I have rental properties. And the people who live in my rental properties, I'm going to use the one in Hattiesburg, for instance, she was a steward over my property. I trusted her to take care of the property that she lived in. Well, guess what? She wasn't a good steward at all. She tore my house up. It's been empty since April and it still ain't fixed. That's how bad she tore the house up. She wasn't a good steward. The principle of stewardship was established early on right after the creation of man. Genesis 1 and 28 says, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That's stewardship. God has given us responsibility over every single thing in the earth. Biblical stewardship is simply recognizing that everything belongs to God and we are to manage and treat it not as ours, but as his. Just as in the parable of the talents, God will require us to give an account of how we stewarded his stuff. I mean, think about it. Do we not require our children to give an account? Uh, the lady who was doing my hair yesterday, her son called her while she was doing my hair. And he was like, I need some money. That's what he said. She had him on speaker. I need some money. And she said, I done gave you some money every day this week. What you do with that money I gave you yesterday? You ain't been nowhere today. She was asking him to give an account of what she had already given him before she would give him anything else. Do we not do that to our children? Do we not do it even concerning the responsibilities that they have at home? Mama, can I get some more toys? Can I get this new thing? Can I? You ain't been cleaning your room. You ain't been taking care of what you already got. If you ain't been taking care of what you already got, why 
should I give you some more? Why should I buy you another doll? And you broke the arm off the last one the next day as soon as I gave it to you. Why should I buy you another race car? That one been sitting outside since the first day you played with it. That's how God looks at us. When we're asking for more and more and more, but yet we can't give an account of what we've done with what, all, what he's already given us. We do it to our employees. We want them to give an account of what they're doing with their time while you're paying them. I do it to my tenants. And so God has every right to do the same thing to us that we expect other people to do for us. Everything I have and everything I am is a gift from God. That's the declaration that we should make. Everything I have and everything I am is a gift from God. Everything. It's so much bigger than money, too. So, see, when I said we were going to be talking about M-O-N-E-Y, some of y'all tuned me out as soon as they, oh, Lord, I should have stayed at home today and watched it on Facebook. Well, you would have missed it because it wasn't even going live on Facebook. But that don't mean you ain't going to be held accountable for it. It's so much bigger than money. Money is just a small, part, a small part of our stewardship here on the earth. God is requiring us to be stewards over everything. Our children, how we raise our children, how we discipline our children, how we encourage our children, what we do for our children. Our marriage, we are stewards over our spouses, how we treat them not in response to how, we, how they treat us. Oftentimes, we want to treat people the way they treat us, and that is not biblical. We hear people say all the time that they don't want to hear the Lord. They want to hear the Lord say, well done. I'm living for the well done. There's a song, well done, well done. That's a song, and we sing it, and we say we're living for it. But when we look in the Bible, the only two times that this appears, God is referring to how we handle our money and our possessions. So if we want to hear well done, I think it's important that we know how God says we should handle his money and his possessions. Now, there's a parable in Matthew 25, 14 through 29, and I'm not going to... Um, to read that parable, but it's the parable of the talents. We all know it. God gave one one talent. He gave another two talents. He gave another five talents. He went away for some time. He came back, and they had to give an account for what they had did. We all going to have to give an account of what we do, every one of us. And so when he came back, the one that had five talents had doubled it, and it went to, to five more, so he had ten. God said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The one who had two talents, doubled it, now has four. God says, well done, thy good and thy faithful servant. The one who had one talent, took it and hid it in the ground. He didn't do anything with it. He allowed fear to overtake him. 
when God comes back, he's going to require a return on his investment. And so then you would think that God took that one, and he called him a wicked and slothful servant. And I'm going to talk about that slothful in a little while. So you would think he would give the one to the one who had four because he didn't have as much. Because, see, that's how we want to bless people. We want to bless people based on what we think they need. Well, this one already got so much, so I ain't going to do it from this for this one. I'm going to do it here. And we have to be careful with that because we have to make sure that whatever we sow and whatever we give, we hear the voice of God and that we're sowing into good ground. And I'm going to talk about that too. So he took the one, and he didn't give it to the one that had four. He gave it to the one who had ten. Because he knew that that one could handle it. He knew that he could trust him. And see, that's it. It's all about trust. Even with your kids. When you can trust them to do things, you give them more freedom and you give them more liberty. Is that not right? When you can't trust your child, you start taking things away. You start holding back. And they have to earn that trust again. And earning trust is a process. Oh, y'all, I got my tag on my shirt. I see him over there trying to tell me. It's all right. It's a new shirt. They was over there trying to say, you know, because I keep lifting my hand. It's all right. I mean, you know, y'all know one thing about me. I don't be caring by none of that. I am not vain. I came up here the other, other week with some little tweety tweets sticking up on the side of my head uh, when I came to women's Bible study because I had just watched it and I had all these little twists and plaits going down. My husband said, you went out the house looking like that? I said, yeah. I mean, I know who I am. I know how to fix myself up and look good. I just washed my hair. It's all right. I bought the shirt. I forgot to take the tag off. It's all right. Anyway, so what I want to say is that all of this starts with a change in our thinking. How we think about everything we possess and what we are to do with it. Once our mindset changes, then our actions will follow. See, the thing is, we try to change our actions without changing our thinking. The Bible says, whatsoever, uh, um, it says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So if I don't change my thinking, my actions aren't going to change for very long. Amen. And that's the same thing with our kids. We can fuss at them till we blew in the flames. Clean your room, clean your room, pick this up, do this, do that, do this. And we haven't changed their thought process on how to change those things. So they're going to pick it up for a couple of days till you stop fussing about it. And then they're going to start back doing it again because their thought process concerning the situation has not changed. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son. How can you give your only? That's generosity there. God doesn't even require us to give everything or our only. He might at some point, 
But that's not what he's asking. And so if we're created in his image and we're created in his likeness, we should be generous too. We should be givers too. So I'm going to talk about four things that hinder us from being good stewards. Four things that hinder us from being good stewards. Number one, the condition of our heart concerning giving. The condition of our heart concerning giving. Some of us are just downright stingy. Point blank, period. We just stingy. We gonna give what's required of us and no more. But God wants us to be generous. So one of my favorite parables is the parable of the Good Samaritan, found in Luke 10, 25 through 37. I'm not going to read it for time's sake. Pastor say I'm long-winded. So um, I'm going to paraphrase it. So you know the story of the Good Samaritan. He's down. He's hurt. He's on the ground. The priest walks by. The Levite walks by. They don't do nothing to help him. And then the Good Samaritan walks by, stops, helps him, puts him up, leaves some more money to make sure he's taken care of, all of this good stuff, right? The Good Samaritan, that's what we all want to be, right? But in order to be a Good Samaritan, our heart condition has to be a heart towards giving. We can't have a hardened heart when it comes to helping other people. When I think about the homeless or those less fortunate than me, God tells me not to even pray for them. If somebody hungry, he said, don't pray for them. He said, feed them. Give them something to eat first. Because basically, they ain't going to hear nothing you saying. They want some food. And once you feed them, then you can share about me and my goodness. And when you feed them, you're showing my love and my goodness. We got to feed them first. Now, I don't give people money. I'm not one to just hand out money when it comes to people on the streets. I'll go to the store. I'll go out of my way and go buy you something to eat. I'll even ask you what you want. You know, I used to help this guy on the streets a lot, and he would be wanting some Burger King. And he'll be like, I want a Whopper with cheese, no onions, add extra pickles, lettuce, and tomatoes. You know, and some people would be like, oh, he ain't hungry for real. Because if he was hungry, he'd just take whatever you want. No. People know what they like, and they know what you want what you want. It's okay to say, I want a, I want a, a Whopper, a double Whopper with cheese, add bacon, hold the onions, add extra pickles. That's what they want. And it's okay for them to tell me that. So I would go out of my way to feed them, to get them what they want, but I may not necessarily give them no money. Because number one, I don't know their habits. I don't want to feed a habit. I, I, I would rather give them some. So I'm giving them two things, really, because I'm giving them my time and I'm giving them my treasure. And so I go and I go and I get what they want to eat and I bring it back to them. Now, you can tell if somebody really hungry or not because those who ain't really hungry, they'll start, well, that's all right then. They ain't really hungry. But somebody hungry, you'll know. And they'll start eating it as soon as you bring it to them. Also, we are, we are required to give to our enemies. 
In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, and I didn't put it on here, and I sent them my scriptures, but I'm going to pull it up. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. If somebody get it before me, yell it out. Luke 6 and 27. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. That's what the word says. So even sometimes our enemies, God will challenge us to give to an enemy. To really see what the condition of our heart is. Are we obedient? Verse 31 says, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Like, you know, that's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. That's like the golden rule. That's actually biblical too. Do for other people what you would want them to do for you. Not how they treat you, not what they do to you. And then another thing we have to do is we have to be willing to help family and friends without judgment. We got to be willing to be generous to family and friends without judgment. What do I mean without judgment? Well, didn't I just help you last month? I mean, I gave you $300 already this year. I mean, what is you doing with your own money? Oh, I know you what you're doing with your money. I seen you at the casino last week. I seen you on Facebook, eating out, going to the movies and all that. If you wouldn't have went to the movies and went to Facebook, and if you wouldn't have went to the movies and went out to eat crab legs, shoot, crab legs, $50. I don't even go eat crab legs. But if you wouldn't have went to eat crab legs, you'd have had that $100 you need. Because I know both of y'all went. That's $100. Counting other people's money. We do it. We judge them. We count their money. And we decide whether they're worthy to be blessed or not. Whether they're worthy to be helped or not. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that come running to you, you got to give them money either. Because some people will take your kindness for weakness, and some people will use you. I'm talking about when God touches your heart, when God clearly speaks to you, and he tells you to give, and you just refuse to because you made up in your mind they're not worthy of it. God wants us to have a heart of obedience, a heart that is grieved by sin and willing to turn away from it. He wants us to have a repentive heart. We sing song all the time. Create a clean heart and purify me. Create in me a clean heart and purify me. Lord, create in me a clean heart concerning finance, concerning money management, concerning stewardship, concerning my time, my talent, and my treasures. Purify that, God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. It's all a matter of your heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not just when we're giving our tithes and offering, but when we want to be that good Samaritan to that stranger. Not looking down on somebody because they don't have what you have. Because it could have been you. There's another song that said, it could have been me. With no clothes, and no food, and no shoes, just another number. With a tragic end, that's what the song say, it could have been us. And the thing is, it could still be us. It could still be us. We are all one tragedy or one travesty away from it being us. God told Abraham in Genesis 12 and 2, it's still applicable to us today, what he said. And he simply told Abraham that he was blessing him to be a blessing. Point blank, period. We, are, we do not have everything that we have just for us. It is to be generous and to give to others who are in need. Amen. Second thing I want to talk about, and this is the longest one, not being in position. So either our heart ain't right, we just downright stingy, or we're not in position to be used by God or to give. So what do you mean by that, First Lady, Pastor I? I mean a good heart. Or good intentions mean nothing if you can't follow through with it. That man that's over there hungry, that want that Burger King burger with cheese, extra bacon, and extra pickles and no onions, he don't want to hear you say, well, if I had the money, I'd buy you something. Is that going to help him at all? What would that benefit him at all? Absolutely nothing. Good intentions without being able to follow through means absolutely nothing. Nothing. Actions speak louder than words. So I want to talk about a few reasons why we aren't in position. Number one is because we have too many leaks. We are wasteful. Wasteful. So I looked up what it meant to be wasteful. To spend or consume extravagantly without thought for the future. To spend or consume, eat it all up, extravagantly without thought for the future. John verse 6 and 12 says, when they had all had enough to eat. This is one of daddy's favorite scriptures. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, what did he say, daddy? He said, gather the fragments. Let there be nothing wasted. Now, I, I, I just was thinking about that thing yesterday, and I was like, okay, gather the fragments. Now, we started out with two, two fish and five loaves of bread. You done fed 5,000 people, not including the women and the children. I mean, how much could really have been left? So I started thinking about that thing, and you know, 
and cook dinner at night and start thinking and I start thinking and I'm like, you know, I might cook nine pieces of chicken and, or you go out to eat at a restaurant. Man, this, I'm, I'm gonna use that scenario. You know, you go out to eat at a restaurant. You eat and you eat till you're content and you don't want no more. And the waitress comes around and they say, do you need a to-go box? They're like, nah, I ain't gonna eat no more. But Jesus said, gather the fragments. Let nothing be wasted. So I start thinking about when I go to restaurants and I see how all that food be left on the table, thrown away. Not being in position because we were wasteful. So that's a meal we could have ate tomorrow and the money we spent tomorrow we could have saved. I got a friend who don't live here, whose husband don't eat leftovers at all. Like he refuses to eat leftovers. I would be showing that to him in the Bible every time I fix his plate and he got some leftovers on there. Because if leftovers is good enough for Jesus, brother, they good enough for you too. My children know that I will left over them to death. They tagged me in that video a long time ago on Facebook. Y'all remember that video? Some of y'all probably saw it. It was a lady on there, and uh, they were like, Mama, can you bring me some so-and-so? They kept calling their mama. She was like, it's some spaghetti in there. Y'all remember that video? It's some spaghetti in there. And she was like, we ate spaghetti yesterday. It's some spaghetti in there. <laughs> Yesterday, my kids was like, what are we going to eat? I was like, it's some spaghetti in there. <laughs> they probably like, we even ate this spaghetti three days in a row. It's still some spaghetti in there. And sometimes we're going to have a smorgasbord of food. It might be enough spaghetti for one, chicken for one, and fish for one. And the oven might get a hot pocket, but we ain't throwing nothing away. The Bible says, gather the fragments. Let nothing be wasted. So y'all better stop throwing that food away. Yeah. I'm just glad that my husband eat leftovers. Amen. Hallelujah. And for those of y'all who don't, your wife going to start telling you now. It's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for you. Now, I started thinking about this thing, and I started thinking about back in the day when they had 16 children, 14 children. And I started thinking about how they didn't even have lack like we have now. I was like, God, how did they make it? How was it that they were able to survive off so little and we have so much yet we feel like we don't have enough? And he said they didn't waste. They weren't wasteful. They didn't glutton. They had just enough to keep themselves content and then that was it. And sometimes we wasteful because 
it tastes so good, I'm going to go back for seconds. I cook enough for two days. I got a friend, she'll say, I cooked, I cooked enough. This, I can't do like you. I can't cook enough for, um, for, for two or three days at a time because my family will go back up in there and they'll eat all the stuff for tomorrow and the next day too. And I'll be like, the devil is a lie. That's why you fix their plates. You still hungry? Get some water. Get some water. Eat a piece of fruit. You know what them kids say? I ain't hungry. I know you wasn't. You was being greedy. Just because it's there. That's wasteful. Some may say, well, I don't waste food. I eat all my food. We don't really throw food away. And, and, and I, don't, I don't like to throw food away either. I mean, it makes me literally sick to my stomach to have to throw some food away. I remember when I was teaching, me and one of my friends, we would bring each other lunch. She would bring me her leftovers, and I would bring her my leftovers, and we would eat each other food. That gave me a little bit of something different to eat. Now, I wouldn't suggest you do that with everybody. And I ain't going to do that with everybody. I was telling somebody yesterday that you just can't eat everybody's food. You just can't eat everybody's food. You, you just can't do it. There have to be some people who are a part of the drink and the roll committee. We always need paper plates. They be like, First Lady, all the food be good at EMCC. I'd be like, I know. I had people going to cook it. You can't eat everybody's food. When my grandmother was alive and we had food at church, she'd be like, don't eat that, 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 and that. You can get that chicken from KFC. Just get you a chicken and some rolls. She trusted KFC more than she trusted some folks' kitchens. So I did some research on how we are wasteful as people. And here were some of the top things that we waste money on. Bank fees. Because we fail to balance our checkbook and we look around and them 35, 35, 35s add up and they be like 200 something dollars. Or we don't go to iBank, we just draw money out the ATM anywhere and they charge us fees. Oh, this the one where I was like, ooh, Lord, this me. Just because it's on sale, you just got, I can't leave this here. It's just too cheap. I got to buy it. This is how we waste money. I just can't leave this in the store. It's on sale. No, you don't need it. I be knowing I don't need it. But because it's on sale, you buy it. And here's the other thing with that. Half time, you can't even wear it. It just be cute. Like my husband been asking me where I've been getting some of them clothes from. Y'all know I lost 45 pounds, praise the Lord. And uh, I've been wearing some new stuff. It, I didn't even go to the store and buy it. It was that stuff I seen on sale three years ago that I couldn't fit. But I just put it in my closet like I'm gonna get in it one day, not even knowing whether I was gonna ever get in it one day. I finally got in it. Another way we waste money is with subscriptions we don't use. 
I got Hulu. I don't even know the password. But when it was like 99 cents a couple years ago, you know, I signed up because and, 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 it was like 99 cents for the first six months or something. And then after them six months, it went up to the regular price. And you start thinking about how many times them $7 or $8 done hit your account in the last two and a half years. Or how many times I paid Planet Fitness $20 and I never stepped foot in their dough. Oh, we all waste somewhere. We waste money on food. If it ain't the food we cook, it's eating out because it's cheaper to eat at home. We waste food going to waste money going to Starbucks because you can make some coffee for a few pennies, but you go to Starbucks and pay $4.50 every day, 30 days a month. That's a lot of money. Waste it. We waste money buying extended warranties because them salesmen be so good at their job. Well, it's only $19.99. Oh, it's only $19.99. Go ahead, add it on now. And you never use it. Overpayment for insurance. Not shopping around. You know, there are people who actually call and get a new rate every single year on their insurance, and they switch companies from year to year. But we so faithful, we don't never shop around. Whatever it is, whatever it costs is, we just going to pay it. But it takes time to be wise with your money. Credit card interest. Now, that's the worst way you uh, waste money right there, especially if you're just paying the minimum payment because you will never pay it off. We waste money because we got to have the latest gadget. My phone been acting a monkey, like for real. I can't, if you send me a video or a picture, I can't open it. I ain't not responding. It just won't open. So Apple trying to get me to get that 14. That's what they doing, but guess what? I ain't finna get no 14. I just text you and say, tell me what you said. <laughs> what was that? My family been posting pictures and videos in our family group chat. And I'm like, what y'all say? <laughs> I be like, send it in Messenger. I can open it up in Messenger. I'm not finna buy no phone. I ain't gotta have the latest and greatest. That's a waste. Ain't nothing wrong with this one. I remember I had that iPhone 4 until that booger wouldn't text no more. It started texting symbols and letters instead of symbols and numbers instead of letters. I finally got rid of it because it would not text no more. We gotta have a new car. I mean, that thing drove by me, it was so smoking. And we continue to buy new cars upside down. Always trading upside down, upside down, upside down, and we paying a million dollars for a car that ain't worth but $10. Wasting money. All right. The second way we live beyond our means, not being in position, is with living beyond our means. I read an article that said 43% of people said they don't give because they just don't have it. Not because they don't have the heart to give, they got the heart. 43% of people in America that were surveyed said, I don't give to anybody or any organization or any charity because I just don't have it. Sometimes you must be willing to downsize. Cut some stuff off, sell some stuff, Whatever it takes so that you are living within your means. If that means you got to cut your own hair for a while, 
Now, I ain't trying to put Brother Chris and, and Brother Shugart out of business. I ain't trying to put them out of business. I'm just using that for an example. But sister girl would do her own hair. I had these little tweety tweeties up there and be looking all right to me. But you got to be willing to downsize. At one point, we cut our cable off at home. Like, we cut it down to something that was called the family plan. So it was like $90 a month, and it went down to like $29.99 a month. It wasn't nothing on there but like Disney and church channels. That was it. That's all we need to watch anyway. And now you can't watch Disney all the time. But that was back in the day. We don't even have it no more. We moved. I thought my kids was going to go into convulsions. But I was like, I'm not going to get satellite or cable back. They were like, what? Mm-mm. Because I'm not a TV watcher anyway. All right. So God says that he'll supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. So I asked the question, if our needs aren't being met, did God lie? Or are we wasting what he supplied for our needs? The simplicity behind the idea to spend less than you earn is clearly shared in Proverbs 21 and 20. It says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. They got stuff stored up. But a foolish man or woman devours all he has. What can we learn from Proverbs 21? The simple, the simple learned wisdom, uh, the simple thing we can learn is that uh, from the punish, okay, let me reread this. Wise men and women don't need to learn anything through their own misery or the misery of other people. The wise can learn as they are instructed by God. The next thing I want to talk about is discipline. To prepare for the future. Set financial goals and track your achievements. How can you be in position? Set financial goals and track your achievements. It requires discipline. Now, some of you know this story, and I'm going to tell it really quickly. When we got ready to purchase the South location back in 2009, um, my husband and I um, had to pay some money. But let me tell you something. When we first got married, we was broke. I always say we were so broke, we couldn't rub two nickels together and make 10 cents. For some reason, two nickels only equal five cents. And so it wasn't because we were living beyond our means. It was just that we just didn't have enough. We just didn't have enough. I mean, I drove a car that was a repo that we bought from a credit union. He drove a Hyundai Accent. You know, I was working, he was working. Uh, we had bought a house. We didn't go buy this big extravagant house. I mean, our house note was pretty reasonable. Uh, we just only had enough to make ends meet and a little bit more. And so it seemed like every time we would get our emergency fund built up, 2,000, 3,000, something happened, and we got to buy something. Need a tire, need a washing machine, need this, and it would go back down. So when Hurricane Katrina hit, it was an opportunity for God to bless us that we didn't even really know from the beginning. So when Katrina hit, his job gave us a bonus, $5,000. Well, we had enough money to pay our bills. This is what happens. When God sends excess or surplus, we waste it. 
But our excess and our surplus is not to be wasted. It's to be put in a position so when God wants to use us, we have it. And so that $5,000, we paid our tithes, put in our savings account. Then they kept saying, well, you ain't got to make a house note payment for six months. You ain't got to make a student loan payment for three months. You ain't got to make a card note payment for three months. So what I do, I was right, okay, well, we got enough money to pay the bills. Instead of splurging on these bills, what we did was we wrote a check to the savings account and mailed it up to Hattiesburg, put it in the savings account. Every house note for our house and our rental house in Hattiesburg because at the time we were living here. And so we were saving both house notes, saving both student loans, saving both car notes, and we were putting them up. So by the time Katrina was over and we had fixed all the repairs on our house and a lot of the work we did ourselves, or my husband did, I don't want to be doing nothing but just cooking, cooking for him and whoever helped him. And so uh, we had about $40,000 in the bank. Wow. It was like amazing. It was so exciting. And so the next car we bought, we bought it and we learned how to borrow against our own money. So we locked our money in the bank and then we borrowed against it and we paid that car note to pay ourselves back. So at the end of the time, we would still have our $10,000 to pay for that we had paid for that car and we still had the car. So it was pretty cool. And then it was time for us to get ready to start Empowerment Ministries. And um, we started doing campaigns and fundraisers, asking family and friends, you know, to help, you know, because we had to come up with like 40-some thousand dollars. So at the end of the time, when it was time for us to get ready to close, we were still about $10,000 short of purchasing the South location. And so we gave the $10,000 to purchase the South location. Now, I didn't say that to brag. I said that because we were in position to be able to do that. Now, what if we had taken all God had given us during that season of excess and just splurged? I mean, I got all my, I got my nails, my lashes, my hair. I got a whole bunch of new wigs. You know, I got me some red bottoms. I got this. I got that. I got a new car. I got all these things. And then when God says, I need you to do this, I'm not in position. Where would EMCC be today? Because, see, the children of Israel took 40 years for an 11-day journey. 40 years for an 11-day journey. So had we not been in position August 19, 2009, to pay the $10,000 to start EMCC, where would we be today and where would some of you be today? Now, I'm not saying that to say that we're your God, but I believe that we are many of your pastors. And so I believe in timing. And so if we had not operated in God's timing, see, our decision don't just affect us. That's what I'm trying to say. Your decisions don't just affect you. They affect everybody that is connected to you. So what if it took us 40 years? What if it took us 10 years? What if it would have took us 10 years? But 11 years ago, we helped save your marriage. Where would your marriage be today? What if it took us 10 years for something God wanted to do two years ago, but it took us 10 years? Where would you be? And we have to remember that every decision we make does not just affect us. It affects everybody that is connected to us. 
The Bible is clear that those who plan for the future are wise. Christians should plan for the future. God himself planned for the future when he sent Jesus to die for our sins. We should follow his example and plan for our earthly and eternal futures. How is it that an ant has more sense and discipline to prepare for the future than we do? Now, the ant is like one of my favorite stories, too. It says in Proverbs 6 and 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. The ant teaches us the danger of laziness in our lives. God points us to an unlikely teaching source, an ant. He tells us to learn valuable lessons from an ant. Ants teach us how to be self-motivated. It says, which having no caption, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. They prepare all summer for the winter. That's what an ant does. The ant teaches us to look ahead. They provide their food in the summer for the winter. That's verse six, uh, six and eight. In the summer and in harvest, food is plentiful. Yet the ant refuses to take up ease or slack or become slowful or lazy. Instead, they work harder. Like in our youth, we should be working harder to store up for the time when there will be a time when, when you get old, when you won't be able to work no more. The ant refuses to take up ease, working harder, storing up against the coming of time of scarcity because they know it ain't going to be no food outside when it get cold outside. People ain't outside. The ants are people. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in summer. As they provide and gather, Solomon looks at another man. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? Will you arise from your sleep? Proverbs 6 and 9. He shows us the end of this man. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and you need and your need like an armed man. If we become lazy, if we become content, if we do not prepare for the future, just like I said earlier, it could have been us and it can still be us. God also requires us to multiply what he gave us. He requires us to multiply it. In Luke verse 9 and 16, the story of the two fish and the five loaves, God took the two pieces of bread and he broke them, gave it back to the, to the disciples, and they went out. And they had enough, first of all, because they allowed God to bless the original portion. And so here's where we fall short if we aren't tithers, and this is the only thing I'm going to say about tithing. When God blesses the original portion, then it's all covered. He then gives it back to us, and then we're able to take care of everything that we need to take care of. He multiplies it when there's lack. I was reading or watching a, a story uh, the other day, and it's like the story he was saying that he could imagine that as the disciples were going around feeding, 
that it was getting smaller and smaller. And the disciples was like, just get a little bit. Just get a little bit, because he was scared it was going to run out. Don't take too much now. Just get a little bit. And then as it was in his hands, because he trusted God, it just grew. And there was more. When we give it to God, he is able to multiply it and to grow it. Just like the person with the one, the two, and the five talents God required them to bring back and a return on the investment, God wants us to do the same. He wants us to do the same. The miracle happened in the disciples' hands simply because they obeyed Jesus. Now, if you tithe and you never give over and above the tithe and you eat or use all of the rest for yourself, your resources are still blessed and you'll have enough, but you'll never have enough to give away. It's the sacrificial giving. It's the over and above. It's the obedience to God that multiplies what you have left to be able to make sure that you always have. The woman with the widow's might, who only had enough for herself and her son and she was going to die, she gave it. And because she gave it, she never ran out. That was her obedience. It was because of her sacrificial giving. <clears throat> that was a sacrifice. And that's a whole nother story that pastor will probably go into because there's so many different kinds of giving. Sacrificially. Systematically. Yeah, we, we tithe. God told us to do that. But spontaneously, when you hear the voice of God, giving because God told you to give. There's a parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 18 and 19, and he's talking about his crops. And he's talking about his barn, this rich man. And he got all this stuff, and he said, you know, I got so much stuff, I ain't got enough room to hold it. I got so many crops, my barns are just busting. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can hold all my stuff. God called him a fool. He did. He called him a fool because he doesn't give us more so we can hoard more. He gives us more so we can help more. And we can't help if we're not in position to give. Can God trust you to give? Giving is an act of obedience. Solomon was granted the wish that he could ask God for anything, anything. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for fame, all the money. He could have asked for anything. But instead, he asked for wisdom. Not only did he get wisdom, but he got all the other stuff too. Because God knew that he could trust him. He knew he wasn't selfish. And that's where we need to be. We need to be in a position where God can trust us, that we're not selfish, that God can say, yeah, I'll give her some more because I know when I tell her to give it to this person, she's going to do it. I'll give him some more because I know he's going to hear my voice when I tell him to do this and he's going to do it. 
I saw a post on Facebook yesterday. It was so simple, but it was so powerful. It said, as Christians, we don't give to be seen, but we should be seen giving. It said, we don't give to be seen, but we should be seen giving. That's powerful. What does God promise for our obedience? Almost every commandment we receive from our Heavenly Father is accomplished by a promised blessing. Obedience to the commandment brings freedom, personal growth, protection from danger, and many other temporal and spiritual blessings. Ultimately, our obedience can lead to eternal life with our Heavenly Father. Simply put, obedience is hearing from God and acting on it. 1 Samuel 15 and 22 says, obedience is better than sacrifice. The last thing I want to say is that in order for God to use us as a good steward, we have to be purposeful in our giving. When we give every week, we say, this is my seed that I'm sowing today in good ground. Here's the thing. Sometimes we give not in good ground. And this is something that some could argue. Some will argue. But God requires us to give and to sow in good ground. Because God requires a return on his investment. The only way we will get a return is if we give in good ground. So it don't matter how many times you help your drunk uncle and buy him a beer. God ain't looking at that. That's not good ground. It don't matter how many times you help that person buy some drugs. If God didn't tell you to give them money, sometimes we even hinder God from being God in people's lives because we become their God. Because people turn to us instead of turning to God. And we have to be careful and we have to make sure that it's God speaking to us. Because when God speaks, it will be good ground and you will receive a return. So not only do we say we receive a return, but we say we receive a return <clears throat> in the area of our life that we need it most. Everybody doesn't need a monetary blessing. Some people need healing. Some people need deliverance. Some people need restoration in their families. Have you ever just sold a seed and put a name on it? Like this seed is for my marriage. This seed is for the salvation of my mother. This seed is for the deliverance of my children. Now that's putting a seed in good ground. Not just going off of your emotions, but allowing God to lead you to give. As we close, I just want to challenge you with one simple question. Have you been a good steward? Is your heart conditioned? to give 
Like, do you have a heart to give? Do you enjoy giving? Do you find pleasure in giving and helping somebody else? The Bible says that he loves a cheerful giver. Not one that gives grudgingly or just because I was told to do it out of necessity, but one that gives cheerfully. Is your heart right? Have you been a good steward? Are you in position? Have you been wasteful? Do you only have enough? Are you living beyond your means? Do you need to downsize some things, cut some things back? Tell some people no? Do you need to make a plan for your future and saving? That's why you haven't been in position? Are you obedient when he speaks? Because you got to be obedient. You got to be not only willing, have the heart, have the, ne the, the necessary things, the resources, but you also have to be obedient. When God speaks, are you obedient or are you hesitant? Are you reserved? Are you prejudging somebody because you think they already got enough? Sometimes we miss our blessings because we, we don't sow where God tells us to sow. And we're looking at them thinking, oh, well, they don't need it. And you don't really know what a person needs. People learn how to fake it till they make it. Sometimes. Sometimes people just fake it till they make it. And then sometimes it's just a test of your obedience. This week I'm going to see my bishop, Ivy Hilliard. And I already know before I go that they're going to take up a seed for him. Bishop Hill, you could put my house in one room of his house. He don't need anything that I give him. Not one thing. But I know I need what his, what's on his life. I know I need what's on his wife's life. And because I know I need what's on their life, I sow into them. Not because I'm looking externally at what they have. But I'm looking at what I need from them. So my question, have you been a good steward? Could you hit the lights? I'm not going to call you up to the altar, but if you're just honest with yourself and you can say right now that I know I've been missing the mark. I've been tithing, yeah. Or I hit or miss tithing. But I ain't been a good steward. There's still some stinginess down on the inside of me. And I didn't even realize it till today. That my heart's not tender and pure when it comes to giving. That I do it sometimes reluctantly. If you say that you haven't been in position, that you're living beyond your means, that you know that you haven't been saving and planning and preparing for your future, or you've just been disobedient, would you stand on your feet? Just like with anything, the first step is being honest. Being honest. I said I don't have it all together. I waste. 
I waste. I waste money too. And I'm pretty good with it. God's given me a gift. I have a gift. I have a gift of money management. I have a gift of finance. I have a gift of budgeting. And I freely share that gift with other people. But even me sometimes, I get so busy, I forget. Or I fall off. Or I just start buying just to be buying. One thing I know about God, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if we trust him, he'll help us. We just got to ask him and invite him in. All we got to do is we got to say, God, I know that I haven't been doing with your resources all that you would have me to do. God, first of all, I didn't even really, I don't recognize that it's not mine. I still have the my mentality. God, help me to change my thinking. That the earth is yours and the fullness thereof and everything in it belongs to you. This ain't my stuff. This yours, God. I want to hear you say, well done. If you ask him, have a personal moment with him right now and just ask him. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change your thinking when it comes to finances. You know which of these areas touched you and which of these areas you struggle in. Whether it's living beyond your means, don't worry about what nobody say. I love Dave Ramsey. You got to have some tough skin to listen to him. But you ain't got to worry about what nobody say. Why they get rid of their car? Why they sell their car? Why they move back into their old house? Because there's some things that God is challenging me to do. There's some things that I want to do for God. And the one thing I know is that there is nothing that you give up for God that he won't give back to you a hundredfold. Absolutely nothing. I'm going to pray. Father, we love you on today. We thank you and we praise you for who you are. God, as we're going into this series on stewardship, help us to be more faithful concerning everything that you have given us, everything that you allow us to be a steward over. Father, forgive us, oh God, where we've fallen short. I'm so glad that today you woke us up with brand new grace and brand new mercy, that we're still alive and we're still breathing. This isn't a message of condemnation. Lord, we thank you for your conviction today. We thank you for your correction today. God, we want to be better. And ultimately, yes, God, yes, we want to hear you say, well done. God, I want you to use me. Use me to help that homeless person, that less fortunate person, that family member, that friend, even that enemy, God. If that'll draw them closer to you, use me, God. However you see fit, allow me to be in position, God, like only you can. God, when you see me walking astray, when you see me veering off this path, send somebody in my pathway to help me. Don't let me be offended by their help. Don't let me be offended by their correction, but allow me to receive their correction in love 
so that I can stay on that straight and narrow path in this life of discipleship and stewardship that you have for me. God, I want to be better. I want to be better. I want to be better in every area of my life. You are concerned about everything that concerns me. God, I want to leave an inheritance for my children. That's what you said, God. I don't want to squander everything while I'm here. I want to leave an inheritance for my children and my children's children. I just want to obey you, God. If that's your testimony, would you just clap your hands all over this building and give our God some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.